Hi, I'm Tom Marks with the Marks Law Firm in Orlando, Florida, and welcome to the Healthy Family Law Attorney. Today, we have a special guest for our Zoom interview, Hallie Zobel. I want to tell you a little bit about Hallie. I've known her for more than 20 years. Um, Hallie is a probate and estate planning attorney serving the Central Florida community for over 30 years. She's a homegrown lawyer, having attended Winter Park High School and Stetson University here in Central Florida. Uh, uh, she got her BA from uh, Stetson and went to law school in Cumberland School of Law, Birmingham, Alabama. So she developed a genuine interest in the care and well-being of seniors while volunteering in a local nursing home, which shifted her practice significantly toward elder law. So she has a background in litigation, probate, guardianship, estate planning, and, and so forth. But her current practice includes probate, guardianships, estate planning, trust administration, and helping families with special needs and seniors with end-of-life issues. Hallie is a member of the Florida Bar Elder Law Section, uh, the Orange County Bar Association, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and the National Association of Divorce Professionals, where she and I both serve. Uh, I am the director, and she is our estate planning attorney on the board. So, Hallie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, Tom. It's such a delight to be here this afternoon with you. I live here in Central Florida. I uh, came here when I was young. My father retired from the Air Force, and I live just north of Orlando with my family in Maitland. I've practiced law more years than I can count all in the central Florida area. And like you said, I've shifted my practice in the last 17, 18 years to mainly those um, practice areas that involve planning for your death or administration after you've passed, helping your loved ones with your estate. And everything in between that is the area I now practice in. Well, that's great. So Hallie, tell us what does an estate an estate planning attorney deal? Well, Tom, we do a lot of things. We help clients plan for their future. We help clients with their goals. We help clients that are concerned if there'll be family fighting over their assets when they're gone. We help clients get things in order, or you've heard the expression, get your affairs in order prior to death. We help clients, loved ones, help administer your estate when you're gone. But all in all, we estate planning attorneys, we provide peace of mind to clients. They can come to our office, end up executing a bunch of documents, and then leave with peace of mind knowing that their affairs are in order. And when they pass away, things will go according to their plan. Well, you know, obviously, uh, having done family law for 35 years, I have had hundreds, if not thousands of clients come in, go through a divorce or a paternity case or something of that nature. But certainly at the end of a divorce, even if they already have wills, those wills are no longer going to be effective because of the divorce. So. Can you tell our audience what kind of documents do you produce, not only for divorcing couples, but for any other type of 
family law client? Absolutely. We provide more than just wills and trusts. Some documents I think are the most important way lawyers draft is the durable power of attorney. That document is where you appoint someone to be your agent if you cannot act while you're alive, but you're incapacitated. That keeps you out of guardianship court. And I've never met a client that's been happy in guardianship court. We also draft those medical directives. In Florida, they're known as healthcare surrogates. That's the document where you appoint someone to make your medical or health decisions if you become unable to do so. Another document we draft is a living will. That document isn't a will, but it's a document that states what your end of life preferences are. If you wish to be plugged in, artificially kept alive, um, or if two physicians say there's no medical probability of you recovering, you may want to sign a document saying, I don't want these um, artificial machines that are going to keep me alive if I'm, in essence, just prolonging the dying process. So we discuss quite a variety of documents, some that are in place only while you're alive, but you become incapacitated or can't speak to the physician. And then, of course, the will and trust is when you're gone. Right, right. And I know a lot of family law clients have heard of maybe a will, maybe heard of a trust, but they're not quite certain what are the differences. And we know a trust helps us avoid probate or helps you know the clients avoid probate. But can you tell us some of the differences between a will and a trust? I'd be glad to. Both are estate planning vehicles. They plan for your death, but they go about it in different ways. A will is a piece of paper that says who you want to be in charge when you're gone and where your wealth goes when you're gone. A will does not necessarily avoid probate, and people get so confused by that concept. They swear up and down in my office that their father had a will, there will not be a probate, but it really depends on titling. A trust Generally, a revocable living trust is a document you create now while you're alive and you put items or title items and assets into the trust while you're alive. And then you have control over those assets while you're alive. And one purpose that clients prefer that type of state plan is because it avoids probate, meaning there's no going to court when you're gone afterwards and a trustee handles your affairs more in a private matter. And those are two advantages of a trust-based system. Another advantage might be for estate tax purposes planning, and you can control who handles your affairs if you become incapacitated, and that's all part of a trust. Your attorney's fees are probably going to be less on the back end with a trust than a will-based plan. Hmm, that's really good to know, Holly. Thank you for that. Um, I heard you mention a couple of different types of trusts, and I know there are many different types of trusts, but can you give us some examples of the different types of trusts that you work with? Be glad to. So I was referring to a revocable living trust, 
And that's what a lot of people have in lieu of a will-based plan. Like I said, it's a living document. It exists while you're alive. You can revoke it at any time. Take uh, assets out of your trust, put assets in your trust, meaning title them in your trust. And that's one type trust we draft. Another type is a life insurance irrevocable trust. Back when the estate exemption amounts for estate taxes were a lot lower, we would draft many of these life insurance trusts and we'd throw life insurance policies into this trust. And the reason we did that, because at your death, your estate would pay less estate tax and more would go to the family. I've never met a family yet, Tom, that wanted more money to go to the government than to their family. Well, that's for sure. Another type trust we deal with is a special needs trust. Those are a real specific trust and you need to know what you're doing to draft these. I draft them for clients who have disabled children. Uh, maybe their child cannot work because of the disability. Maybe the child is on social security and will never be able to work. We can, they can still receive their parents' inheritance by way of a special needs trust and not lose a dime of their inheritance if it's placed in a certain properly drafted trust. And that type of plan gives me a lot of satisfaction because you see what you can do for the family when they realize that they no longer have to leave out their disabled child. They can include that disabled child and that child will never lose a penny of Social Security or their parents' inheritance. And that's a really good thing. That is, that is good. Um, so tell us, what, what are the levels at which individuals or families might have to start paying estate, federal estate taxes? Sure. And um, federal estate tax is nothing more than a transfer tax. The government taxes you for the privilege of transferring your wealth to your family members, usually your children or your grandchildren. So with um, that number has been going up each year. And this year, we can pass $11.7 million of assets to our loved ones' wealth before we pay a penny of tax. That number is going to change. It was scheduled to sunset, I believe, in 2025. With the Democrats in office, there's a good chance that Congress will change that number. But for now, each of us can pass $11.7 million in wealth to our loved ones without paying a federal estate tax. But that federal estate tax can be upwards of 40%. So we want to do real careful planning with loved with our clients to make sure they get out from that really hard hit of estate tax. So Holly, would you say with the new administration uh, that's come in uh, with the Democrats, is it more or less likely that the estate tax threshold will, I guess, lowered or raised uh, for, at which families would have to start paying federal estate tax? That's a real good question. And most likely with the Democrats, they're about taxing and that number will come down. When I first got into this area of practice, the estate tax exemption amount was $625,000. 
So anyone that had over that amount of wealth, they faced in a federal estate tax. Well, that would affect quite a number of my clients. Not many of my clients are over $11.7 million. And with the married couple, they can pass 23 point something million dollars before there's an estate tax. But most likely, um, that number's going to come down. It was going to sunset and come back to $5 million under the current plan. So we'll probably see that number come down in the next few years. And that gives a estate planning opportunity for we attorneys to do further planning with our clients and notify them and say, hey, we might need to do some additional planning so their family isn't hit so hard with that tax. Yeah, that's good to know, because I think it'll be important to keep an eye on that um, for families to know at what point they will start getting that pretty substantial federal state um, tax. So I know we've talked about wills and trusts, and I know there's some other opportunities for estate planning. Um, One is maybe uh, a life estate in real estate. Can you talk to us about what is that? Sure. A life estate, some states don't have that, but Florida allows you to give a life estate to someone where they have the right to remain on the property for the rest of their life. And when they stop breathing, it passes on to someone else. And we use that tool in our estate planning. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it depends on the family dynamics. If I've got a dysfunctional family with eight children, I'm not about to do a life estate deed with the house going to the eight children. That wouldn't necessarily be my technique. In addition, the house seems to cause the most consternation with clients, Tom. When I get these calls, I say, what do I do with the house? Can I just add my son Bobby on that house, Steve. And I say, whoa, 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 let's not do that. We attorneys look at it from all different angles. And when the elderly client adds son Bobby on the house deed, that can disrupt a load of problems. For example, if the elderly mother had to go in a nursing home, she has just gifted to her son a house And that can be problematic of getting any type of benefits. We attorneys look at it through the lens of capital gains tax. By doing that, little Bobby, when he goes to sell the house, he's going to be hit with capital gains tax that he would not have had he inherited the house through a probate. So he would take a date of death value at the value at his mother's death. If she bought the house at $10,000 and it's valued at $2 million, well, there you have a real huge capital gains issue. And so many people think they don't need an attorney, that the house is real simple, but our homes in Central Florida, that's some of our most valuable assets we have as a family. And before you do anything with the house, Steve, you should see a qualified attorney to determine if that's the best move. And that is good advice. And I know that in family law cases, the marital home is often the largest asset of the marriage, unless there's a substantial business or some other uh, unique asset. But typically the home is the most valuable asset 
in the in the divorce process. Um, so you mentioned um, how to avoid probate before. What are some of the best ways to avoid probate? Sure. One of the ways to avoid probate is to re is to title your bank accounts and place them as payable on death to the person you want the bank account to go to, or you've heard the term TOD, transfer on debt, and you can fill those forms out at your bank where you keep your assets. Another way to avoid probate is to have a living trust system. If all your assets are titled in your living trust, and then you pass, the trustee has uh, jurisdiction of the, all the assets in the trust and the court does not get involved. The trustee can literally say, no, thank you, court. We don't need you. And she can begin to act immediately as trustee, where in probate world after death, the loved one has to wait to be appointed by a court before they can act as the guy in charge or personal representative. So sometimes people use a trust-based system to avoid probate. I suppose you could gift away all your assets prior to your death, and that's one way to avoid a probate. But remember, the government also has gifting uh, gift taxes, so you need to be wary of that also. But those are some of the ways through titling how you can avoid a probate at your debt. Yeah, the government's going to look to tax whatever they can. And so that's one of the most important reasons probably to see an estate planning attorney. I know that in my family law practice, I typically, um, as a matter of course, recommend to my clients that they see an estate planning attorney because at the end of the divorce, their situation is far different. Than it was during the marriage and so they need that additional advice whether it's a new will a trust um, a guardianship provision i know we haven't really talked about guardianship um, but the client may need a guardianship provision in case something happens to them you know of course their former spouse would have first priority as the natural parent but you do guardianship provisions also don't you Absolutely. And I do practice guardianship law. And what I could do for these parents who get a divorce, we can set up a trust for their minor child. And it may be they don't want their ex-spouse peeking in to see how much money they have at their death. And they can pick a trustee that's not the ex-spouse to be over money that is inherited to their minor children. So I see that a lot in my um, divorce families who are interested in keeping the ex away from the money. And we can absolutely do things like that. So the monies don't go through a public system like a guardianship where your ex-spouse could get, get involved or be a decision maker over the money. You know, that really brings up a good point. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but in the family law arena, oftentimes we ask that the other spouse provide life insurance to secure the child support or to secure the alimony. And that way, if the spouse that's paying child support or alimony predeceases the completion of that obligation, then the life insurance replaces the money that that spouse would have paid. And there's also often a fight over, well, 
who receives that money if the spouse dies? Does the other parent or is there a guardianship or a guardian that takes over uh, those monies to make sure they're provided to the minor child if it's ch to secure child support? Yeah, we could pop it into a trust where all the parties agree on the language or pop it into a trust and decide who uh, jointly as part of an agreement of who's going to be over that trust if it goes that way. Right, right. These are all really good uh, points. And I'm really glad that uh, we've done this interview because um, it's my purpose to provide hope and help to families to successfully navigate the family law process in a healthy way. And this is one of the things that you uh, need to think about as a family law client. And what are you going to do with your um, estate planning needs? So you're someone they could go see. So Hallie, this is the healthy family law attorney. So I've got to ask you, do you have a healthy tip for our audience today? I do. Set aside your soft drink and drink and drink a bottle of water today and replace the soft drink with water. Right. A soft drink, Coke, pop, whatever people call it nowadays, depending on where you're from. But I hear that diet sodas can be as bad or, or worse than fully leaded sugar uh, soda. So water, a healthy choice. Thank you for that, Hallie. You're welcome. Hey, um, if you've enjoyed the video today, then hit that like button, uh, subscribe to the channel, um, hit that bell icon so you don't miss any uh, future videos. We're shooting new interviews every Friday and new legal topics every Wednesday. So I hope you've enjoyed this video. I uh, hope you continue to um, stay tuned to the channel. Please leave some comments or suggestions if there's a topic you'd like to hear me talk about in the future. And with that, I'll say, Hallie, thank you so much for being a part of the channel today. Uh, you're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of the Avocado uh, Lawyers video. <laughs> yes, I'm a little bit uh, known as the Avocado Guy. If people want to check out my Healthy uh, Family Law Attorney blog or the Healthy Lawyer blog, then uh, they, they can um, see all kinds of pictures of my avocado trees and ways to plant them and care for them. So it's part of uh, what I do um, as part of my healthy living. So Hallie, thanks you so much today and for audience. Thank you. And we'll see you next time.